Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. So what ends up happening is we get our property back there, the property that you're allowed to have when you're in solitary confinement. It just consists of your religious books, maybe a pair of shower shoes. So they're not going to let you get any food items or anything like that. And, and he was telling the truth. They brought him all of his religious items. He had a satanic Bible. He had books on, on witchcraft and, and just all pentagrams and all this other stuff. And of course, I had a holy Bible. So I told him, I said, I'll tell you what, man, I'll make a deal with you. We'll read a few chapters out of my New Testament every night out loud. And we'll read a few chapters out of one of your books out loud. And he said, man, you ain't scared to do that? I said, brother, I'm not scared of anything, man. The one that controls the realm that you're dabbling in is Jesus, brother. He's the king of that. He said, all right. So we started out like that. I'd read two, three chapters, four or five chapters right there, you know, and then I'd read two or three chapters, four chapters out of his garbage. And Sherry, I'm going to tell you what, after two weeks, that man looked at me and said, you know what, man, let's just, uh, we just go and just read out of your book for now, man. I said, all right. And we just stayed on it. We just stayed on it. I mean, we just kept in that, stayed in that New Testament, man, every day, every night, man, John, Ephesians, Colossians, on and on and on. And it was, it was awesome. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. Does God really care? And I mean, really care about people in prison? And if so, what does it look like for God to pursue the heart of rebellious prideful, stiff-necked, hard-headed, broken people. If this is something that you wonder about, I'm glad you're here because my guest today, Stephen Snook, answers that question for us. This is the longest episode I've done to date, and I'd like to say it's because Stephen and I discuss his 22-year prison sentence, so it's a long conversation. But the truth is, it's long because of the countless stories of how God interrupted Stephen's criminal career, drastically changed his life, and then proceeds to use everything about Stephen's 22-year prison journey to cross paths with individuals that are on God's heart. Stephen shares example after example of how God showed up in some of the most unlikely places. One example of unlikely solitary confinement. So he shows up in various settings in supernatural ways. 
Stephen talks about how God used him to shine the light of the world, God's son, into the hearts of those who are willing to grab the lifeline that God offers to each of us. Stephen also had encouragement for the praying mama or that grandmother, the sister, the aunt, who's wrapping their loved one in prayer, asking, begging God to intervene. Because Stephen has seen over and over the power of a praying woman when it comes to inmates making a decision to find peace with God. Could it be that God searches out the ones that a prayer warrior is petitioning God for and standing in the gap of intercessory prayer and standing in faith for that answered prayer? If you think about it, there's justice and injustice, good or evil. There's truth and lie, love and hate, God and Satan. There are only two realities that we should be concerned with, heaven and hell. And this life here, as we know it, is a foreshadowing of what is to come when we transition into eternity. So while here we get glimpses of what heaven is like and we get glimpses of what hell is like, I personally think that institutionalized correction centers are a prime example of a foreshadowing, a small sample of what hell will be like. But take heart, because on this side of eternity... God enters into those places through willing men and women who will bend their will to God's plans to reach every person possible. At the time of this recording, January of 2023, Stephen has been out of jail coming up on a year. He's paid his dues to society, and he's transitioned from reaching the prisoners behind the bars to people outside the jail that have erected their own personal prisons or man-made hells. Does God care about people in prison? You bet he does. It's the reason he sent his son to save us, to enable us to live free in the here and now, no matter our environment or circumstance or situation. As you listen to what Stephen shares, may your heart be captivated by the beauty of who Christ is in this type of setting and the links that he will go to in order to create an intersection of paths between his obedient son or daughter and a prodigal that he is passionately pursuing. Stephen, I'm so glad that you're here. What you have to share today is going to be somebody's gold. And what I mean by that is someone is going to need to know that God can turn a life around at any point in their journey. So thank you for your humble posture uh, and sharing your story of drug abuse, jail, and God's presence. Welcome. Thank you, Sherry, for this opportunity. Something that I personally believe is that one's family of origin has a powerful influence on their future. Is that something that you've found to be true? What was your childhood like? Well, I would have to go all the way back for your audience to really understand. I was born in 1976 in Hampton, Virginia. Right around uh, the corner from born, Virginia Beach. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> when I was born, my mother was 15 and I already had an older brother. So I was her second child at 15 years old wow. by two different men. Um, and I actually, I received my name My mother was so poor. She was sharing a hospital room with another lady and you had to rent a television back then to be able to watch television. So so, she was waiting to to have me. She didn't have any money to rent to watch the television. So the lady that shared the room rented the television for her. And my mother asked her, she said, what do you think would be a good name for a little boy? And the lady said, Stephen. And that's how I got my name, Stephen. So my mother, she struggled. You know, there was no man around. Her family was just dirt poor, completely uneducated. They would literally go to the beach and beg for money. And so when my brother and I were two, three years old, she set us down by the side of the street there in Hampton and went in the house and called the police. Mm. And they came and got us. And and that's how we went to uh, foster care. 
Well, when I think about your mother being 15 and already having one child, I think about the abuse that she may have suffered and also poor. That's got to be very difficult. I would think that a 15-year-old with now two children does not have a voice and many resources. So that woman in the hospital who paid for her TV, so she intersects with your mother's life at this point and names you. I wonder if she happened to be an angel. You never know, right? You never know. It, mm-hmm. it, it almost seemed like it. My mother told me that story when I was 24 years old and we had a conversation. It was probably maybe the second or third real conversation we'd ever had in my life because I didn't really know her. Um, because of of what happens next, while we're in foster care, my brother and I have different fathers. So my brother's father's family, who were from Illinois, they came and got my brother out of foster care. And he went to go live with an aunt. And then about six or seven months later, because she knew that I was still in foster care as a, as a three-year-old, they made a return trip and they came and they got me. And that's how I ended up being raised in Illinois. Now, my aunt, to her credit, was a very kind-hearted woman. She was also very uneducated. She only had a sixth grade education. She was a waitress. And she married very violent, alcoholic men. The two husbands that she had during my childhood were both ex-military, alcoholic woman beaters. And um, the one that would essentially become my father that she married when I was seven years old was just an extremely violent, dysfunctional alcoholic. And so there was no love in that home. She didn't know how to love us. She never told us that she loved us. She didn't hug us. And it was just absolute chaos. And we lived in complete poverty because this dysfunctional alcoholic would not work. So we were raised on a waitress's tips. It was so bad in that environment that my brother decided to run away rather than live there. And he didn't just like run down the block. Like he ran away and started jumping railroad cars like a hobo. And went all the way to California and all the way to the East Coast. So it was it was a hard, hard childhood. Uh, my uncle trained us to fight like men when we were seven, eight, nine years old, 10 years old. He had us, you know, learning things that nowadays are a little bit more common with MMA being in the spotlight. But back then, nobody knew the stuff he was teaching us. And um, so it was it was that type of life that. Just absolute chaos. I mean, I he would shoot off guns inside the house. Wow. So this is what you're dealing with. And and that's just kind of how I was raised. You know, by the time I was 15, I had already been beaten and abused most of my life. I'd been sexually abused by a distant relative and just had never felt any sort of love or affection as a young man. So by the time I turned 15, I was already involved in selling narcotics. Um, I started out selling marijuana, moved out and started to take care of myself. My older brother, who was back at this time, by that time, he was about 17. His girlfriend and my girlfriend, we had a place and I just took care of everyone uh, just by selling, selling drugs. So I guess when you have that kind of background where what are, I mean, you're not really taught to look for anything except survival, I would think. And then in the mode of survival, all the wrong things find you. And so drugs, I would guess, would be a natural progression in your in your life. Is that something you'd agree with or do you think there were different options? No. Well, what happens is that I and I have a theory on this. If you grow up in a very uh, impoverished environment, there's an escape there for you. There's a way out of that. But if you grow up in an impoverished environment and a completely dysfunctional household, 
where when you come home from school, somebody might just punch you. Um, there's really no getting out of that. You know, you have no foundation at all. And your your destiny is jail and prison or death. I threw myself into the drug dealing world because I always was ambitious and I've never been a coward. I always had a lot of courage in my heart, like Joshua or Caleb, maybe from the Bible, where God said, I put a different spirit in them when they came back from spying out the land. Mm -hmm. So by the time I was 19, I was getting dropped off at the Indianapolis International Airport, flying to the Mexican border and picking up loads of drugs to bring back to the Midwest. This is as a teenager. I ended up getting busted on one of those trips and started my journey through the American jail system. So I was in jail on the Mexican border, um, Ohio, Illinois, Virginia, Hampton jail. Um, and just, you know, that just began that cycle right there. Was there ever any influence of God or mention or exposure to God, anything along the way at this point? In my life, I think I may have went to church probably three times. This just wasn't something that was spoken of or taught, but it wasn't just, you know, no mention of God or Jesus. But the people in my home, they didn't watch the news. There was never a newspaper. It's just absolute. It's it's difficult to explain, you know, the way that that type of dysfunction is, but it's pretty prevalent. You know, it's kind of held under the shadows a little bit because it's so ugly and it's so depraved, but it is real. You know, and most of the time, the person that does come out and talk about being sexually abused, it's very difficult for a man to come out and talk about being sexually abused. I'm in a men's group now that I go to here in a church, and it's a very, very large men's group. And after going there for what, four months, maybe five, I just asked him one day. I'm pretty I'm pretty cut like that. where I'm pretty bold and confident. And I said, hey, how many guys in here have been sexually abused as a child? the hand started flying up. And, and I mean, it was, it was really amazing. And they said, you know what? We've never talked about that in here. We've never talked about that in that church. I mm -hmm. said, brothers, don't you think it might be important to talk to your wives about that Yeah. as your marriages are crumbling and you're having problems with your children and you're having these different things. Maybe you ought to talk to your wife about that, man. You guys been going to church here for 25 years and you haven't talked about these type of issues. So maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself in this story, but I, I just want to bring that up. No, it's very important. I did a podcast episode with a woman who is a psychologist for specifically for men who've been sexually abused. And she even gave examples of of uh, men who did not even understand that it was sexual abuse. They only realized it when they were listening to a news broadcast or a context of a story talking about somebody. It happened to somebody else. And then this revelation of said, wait. That's what happened to me when I was a kid. And then there are others who like a professional athlete, grown young man, but is in a position where he's he's taking care of his family. And now if he speaks up, he's going to lose his uh, place on the on the team and he won't be able to play. Therefore, he won't get paid. He'll get cut. And then what does his family do? So she gave a lot of different examples on how men are sexually abused. And yet it's not talked about like you're saying. It's not addressed. It's not looked at. No, it's it's a horrible sin because it's one of those sins that particularly affects the victim in a in a spiritual way where there's something transferred to that victim and it's not their fault and it's not fair. And then they will actually turn to drug and alcohol abuse to just bury that. Mm -hmm. So I'm along this trail of completely destroying myself um, as a as a drug smuggler and a drug user. 
And I go to jail in all these different states. And when I get out, I just go right back to it. Mm-hmm. It's what I know. And it's the life that I chose. And going to jail was just part of that life. So by the time I was 21, I had already had convictions in multiple categories. I was committing a felony literally every day, not just, you know, smuggling drugs, but everything because I was a leader of a crew. I was always a leader of a crew, even at 15. So by the time I was 19, I would be, I was a leader of a crew of grown men. By the time I was 20, 21, I was telling motorcycle gangs what to do. And Mm -hmm. I got into a little bit more trouble when I turned 21 because I had a 17 year old girlfriend and I was involved in drug trafficking and I was all over the radar of the cops. At this time I had graduated already to cocaine. And so by the time I got out of prison three years later at 24, I was right back into drug smuggling, which is what I knew. And, um, and then at 26, a month, Less than a month after I got married, my wife was 22. I was 26. I got arrested by the FBI and the DEA. And um, they gave me 22 years in federal prison. 22 years. Who was with you at the sentencing? Well, my wife was my co-defendant. And that's just part of how the government works. And just let people know straight up, we're in a great country. I don't have a problem with law enforcement or what they're doing. I understand their job is very difficult. But one of the things that they do is that if you will not cooperate with the government, they will bring it to you in a very devastating way. Not only will they strip you of everything that you own, that's the least of your worries. They will begin to lock up your family members that weren't involved in your case. And part of the carrot and the stick in my instance was my wife. So you wouldn't rat anybody else. So your wife was going to have to pay the price for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, And Sherry, I'll just tell you, I had my sensing transcripts show that at my sentencing, you have an opportunity to speak to a federal judge. And I walked up to the judge shackled and handcuffed. And I said, your honor, I know why I'm here. You know, everybody in this courtroom knows why I'm here right now, because I am a drug trafficker. I've been charged as a drug trafficker, as a career criminal. That's what I am. But why is she sitting over there? And the judge said, you know, I'm going to tell you why, because the prosecutor filed a complaint and he went in front of the grand jury and he got an indictment. And that prosecutor knew that my hands would be tied here today and that I am bound by the federal guidelines and that I'm going to have to give her two years. Hmm. Now, Sherry, I'll tell you that a few years after that, they made the federal guidelines advisory and it gave the judge a little bit more discretion. But it's too late at that point. You right. know, this was back in 2003. So there was nothing that the judge could do but give her the 24 months. And the least amount of time that I could get was 262 months. Hmm. The least amount of time, 262 months. And For you were caught with- nonviolent drug crime, yes. Nonviolent, but it was because you were caught with the cocaine. It was the cocaine and my prior criminal history. I'd okay. been in trouble before. I'd been a drug dealer since I was 15. Okay, so you had a little bit of a rap sheet. Oh, yes. So you get sentenced. And it sounds like your mind is definitely on your wife. Like, why does she have to be in it? But what was your biggest fear at that time when you hear 22 years? Well- I, this is where we need to come to the part of meeting Jesus, okay, so that you can understand the way that I felt at sentencing. Um, about five months into my jail time, waiting to plead guilty, waiting to go to court and get my time, I was still calling shots in the criminal world from jail. You know, I still had a sphere of influence from inside of the jail, and I got a visit from my youngest brother. And I sent him to um, to go collect some money from some other uh, large drug dealers that owed me money. 
And I didn't think too much about it. I mean, that's just par for the course when you live that life. And about a week later, I called home and they asked me, had I been watching the news? And I said, no, I haven't been watching the news. And they said, okay, well, your brother is in the hospital on life support. And he was in a high-speed police chase, running from uh, fleeing the police from the scene of a shooting. And they were trying to throw guns out of the car and they lost control of the vehicle. And it's not looking good. He's been on life support for about a week. And uh, so that's when I set the phone down. That's when I went to that prison cell and I hit my knees and I asked Jesus to come into my life. That's when I gave my life to the Lord right there. And I'll tell you the way that that talk went. I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I, I cannot deal with this. I would never be able to deal with my brother um, dying at my hands. And um, now I've got my wife going to federal prison. My brother is dying in the hospital. I said, Lord, please come into my life. I'm asking you to please save my brother's life and I will serve you for the rest of my life with my life. Mm. What made you think of God at that moment? Because you've only been in church two or three times, just that little seed planted somewhere along the way, those two or three times. What made you think of him as the lifeline? Yeah, it just, it had to be being in America and being exposed to the gospel at some point in your life. And looking back over my life now that I'm 46 years old, I can see that God was always there. Even in moments when the enemy was trying to kill me, my mother told me uh, when we had that very candid conversation when I was 24, she told me that someone tried to kill me when I was a year old, that I was sitting in a windowsill right there in, I believe it was Hampton or Newport News. And I had one leg hanging out and the other hanging in. And a guy walked into the yard with a machete. And as he was reaching to grab my leg and chop my leg off because he was beefing with someone in her very dysfunctional, poverty-stricken family, her mother, which would be my grandmother, came out of the front door and started blasting the shotgun. And so there have been many, many attempts on my life since I was was an infant. Hmm. And God's always saved me. He has always saved me. I'll tell you a story here, Sherry, that I've never shared. And you know, I've done just a tremendous amount of podcast interviews in the last few months. But when I was about 14 years old, I was walking through a forest and I was looking for deer antlers. It's just something you do in Illinois in like February or March, they fall off their head and you find one. It's really a great thing. And um, as I was walking through the forest, I, I was back in there about a mile I came to an area where there were these strip mine ponds behind a General Motors plant. These ponds are just, you know, they're maybe 200 feet by 200 feet across, but they're just very, very deep, very deep. They use them for some type of runoff from the plant and it catches this water. And there were some kids out there playing on this pond and by the pond, actually. And there was about two or two inches of ice, maybe a little bit less. That's not enough ice to run out on. And one of those youngsters took off across that pond and got out in the middle of that and the ice broke. He's got his own brother right there. Nobody's mm-hmm. running out there to save him. And instantly I go. And anybody that knows anything about that, as soon as I get close to that hole, the ice breaks and now I'm in the water with him All Right. and he can't swim. Oh, and no. I've got him by one arm and I'm breaking the ice with the other arm and I'm kicking my feet. And as we got close to shore, we were three or four feet from the shore. And within five minutes, we were three to four feet from the shore and you still couldn't touch the bottom. Hmm. And his brother put a stick out there and I handed him up to the stick. And 
that story comes to my mind because there's been so many instances where God has saved my life and put me in a position to help somebody else. Right. Where I just stumble upon an opportunity in this life to to help someone. As our conversation progresses, there's a lot more you're going to share about the way that you've saved other people's lives, or at least you have pointed them to the one who saves lives. And so in my in my opinion, that's you grabbing their hand, grabbing God's hand, and then putting their hands together. So I think that's just a small example of a reverberation in your life, if you ask me. So you got saved. Yes, I'm back in the jail, and I give my life to the Lord. And about three weeks after that, the U.S. Marshals come and get me and transfer me to another jail. It's just something they do. Sometimes they can do whatever they want. I, you know, During my federal prison sentence, I was moved all over the country. I was in federal prison in Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia, Oklahoma, Illinois. It's just it's something to do. When you're far away from home, they can move you whenever they want if they need some bed space. So at this point, I, they moved me to another jail. And when I got there, the spirit whispered to me, And, you know, I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit at that time, but you learn that as you grow up in the Lord. And he said, tomorrow you're going to start reading the Bible and you're not going to eat. And I said, okay. So I walked down the unit and there was a normal jail environment. It was just full of gambling, working out, uh, one television, which was constantly on wrap all day long. And I was gelling too. That's how I gelled. I'd get out there and fight with the guys and gamble and play cards and whatever else. Now, this is three weeks after I've given my life to the Lord. And after I gave my life to the Lord, nothing really changed until this happened. Mm -hmm. When I heard that little still small voice, I was obedient. I walked down to the unit. I saw an old black man that I'd seen with a Bible one day and asked him, could I borrow it? And he told me I could. I took it back to my cell. And when I came out of that cell 11 days later, the fire was on me. Really? I, I was so anointed by God. I went back mm-hmm. and I handed that man that Bible and I said, Pop, this is the greatest love letter ever written right. Yeah. And from that moment forward, that unit began to change. At first, mm-hmm. guys were like, hey, man, are you all right? What's going on? I'm like, man, I'm good, man. Then I got a Bible off the book rack. Then I started reading the Bible. Then the next thing you know, some of the gang members in the unit that had been my buddies that I'd been gambling with, they started to come by. Then we started having Bible study. Within a month and a half, we were having Bible study every night. Me, the vice lords, the GDs. We went from watching rap videos in this small unit to watching the Trinity Broadcast Network. Okay, (laughs) Sherry, the the officers are tripping because they monitor all these other units. There's units all over this jail. Every unit's doing the same thing. Gambling, fighting, rap videos, working out. They come over here, man. We're having Bible study every day. <laughs> that's so God, though. I mean, that's, that's why I'm God. laughing. I'm like, God, you show up in some of the craziest environments that we would not think he would ever even enter into. That became a pattern for my life. That's awesome. Yes, ma'am. I would take that fire with me. I would always count the cost in this life and be willing to pay the price to get close to God, to be able to, to, to let that come out of me to other people. And so I end up getting the 22 years. Mm-hmm. So you go, you go to court to get your time. And of course I go up and I tell the judge, you know, my wife doesn't belong there, but there's nothing you can do. Um, and he gives me the 22 years. He gives her the two years. They put me on an airplane and they send me to Florida to a ma- massive, uh, 
federal prison complex where there are five different federal prisons in one spot. Wow. And after being there for about a year of just following God and being absolutely on fire for Jesus, I was sitting in my cell one day and I came, I, I came across a scripture in the Bible in Luke chapter 11. And if Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. And I took that Bible and I went over to my buddy's house. He was also a Christian, an inmate. And I said, brother, did you know this was in here? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I knew that was in there. He'd been raised in church. I said, did you see what Jesus said right here? He said, if you being who you are, if your son came to you and asked you for a fish or an egg, which one of you is going to give him a snake? He said, you wouldn't do that. He said, how much more does your father want to give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him? Mm. I said, man, that's me, man. I said, I believe in Jesus. You know what I mean? I am his son. I want the Holy Spirit. That is it. And I pray bold. I pray bold. And that was, this was like the turning point of my life Mm. because I was walking. I started walking out in front of my buddy's cell that next day out there by myself, praying. I was sitting there praying, waiting on him to get ready for child. And the Lord whispered to me. He whispered that little voice. He said, just open your mouth and let it go. And that was it, Sherry. When I did that, it started to yeah. rumbling in my stomach and coming out of my chest. And the next thing you know, whether people believe it or not, I'm going to tell you what happened. The next thing you know, I've got tongues flying out of my mouth. I don't even know what's going on. I went to my cell, shut the door, hit my knees, threw my hands up and just let it go. And it was just flowing out of me for probably five minutes. It was just the greatest thing I'd ever felt in my life. The first words I said in English was, Jesus, I knew you was there. Always, always there. And when you when you say tongues, that is a spiritual language, correct? Meaning I want yes. listeners to understand if they have never heard the term tongues. When you said there were tongues flying out of my mouth, I didn't want picture, people to literally picture tongues flying out of your mouth. But I wanted it, to know it was a spiritual language. Yes, ma'am. It was a spiritual language that I couldn't understand. <laughs> I don't think any of us do, do we? I don't it's just a, But I know what it felt like after yeah. that. I was really on fire. You couldn't tell me nothing. Sweet communion with the Lord. When I think about being, you know, radically, in my opinion, radically changed, you didn't have much of a background for Christ. Nobody was consistently pointing you there or, or you know, giving you this message of of salvation on a consistent basis so that now you know you've got these seeds planted and now you know where to turn when the when the heat gets turned up. But how do you live a Christian life in the environment of prison? How do you do that? Well, it's a it's a delicate balance, especially with a guy like me, because I would never run to jail um, and to carry a Bible. Um, I, my conversion is not a jailhouse conversion. You hear about guys going to prison and finding religion. I wasn't looking for any religion. I've been a gangster my whole life, a hard gangster. And men throughout the system knew me, who I was, who I used to be. And even after getting born again and getting saved and all that. I would still whoop somebody if they tried me, you know what I mean? Because we're in prison and I'm not mm -hmm. a punk. In 2005, after, after having received a baptism of the Holy Spirit, I was laying in my bed one day reading the Bible. Mm -hmm. And the guy came into my cell and disrespected me. And I ended up, ended up having to fight him. So, you know, I'm, I, I believe that Jesus called some pretty hard men too. And I believe that the women that were in Jesus's ministry had a tremendous amount of courage and God has revealed to me that he can take a man or a woman that has a little bit of courage in them and do incredible, wonderful things. 
but he can't take a clean cut person that lives a clean life. That's a coward in their heart and do much of anything with them. They just good to pay tithes. You know what I mean? And stuff like that. But yeah. if you grab a hold of a woman or a man that's got courage in their heart and is willing to press into God, he that's the one that he says, nothing shall be impossible for you. I, I feel like God's heart is for the adventure, like you're describing, because if you look at the life of David, God said he was a man after his own heart. But yet look at the mistakes and the sins that he committed. But yet his heart was for God. And I, he just would always step out in adventure. He had courage and he would repent, get back so that there was no separation between him and God. And I just think that God's heart is for the adventure, not the one sitting on the sofa, afraid to get out of the house. I agree with you on that. Yes, ma'am. And I'll tell you, after receiving that that baptism in the Holy Spirit, that really charged me up to the point where I wouldn't ex- I wouldn't really settle for anything else other than a supernatural walk with God. So, you know, so what catapulted me into that, that really brought the reality of that realm of that supernatural realm to me was after that fight that I was just explaining. I'm in my room. It's after work. I'm reading the Bible. A guy that's not in my race comes in the cell, disrespects me. He walks out. I set the Bible down, put my shoes on, tied my shoes up. I believe I did what a Christian was supposed to do. Um, I walked out there and I gave him an opportunity to apologize to me. Now, he has no idea what he's walking into. He sees 155 pound, uh, 20, let's see, I was bid 28 years old at that time, 28 year old white man that reads the Bible. And he's a 240 pound black guy. He thinks he's dealing, he has no idea that I was raised and trained how to fight since I was seven or eight years old. But I gave him an opportunity. I said, bro, man, the way you talked to me back there was very disrespectful. And when he opened his mouth to say something that was not an apology, I whooped him in front of 200 guys and it it changed my life in prison for several reasons in the federal system. Um, one of the main reasons that it changed my life was because so many people witnessed what happened and everyone's impression of me was here's a guy that's humble, that stays to himself and he just reads his Bible. Um, and if they didn't know me from before, they assumed that that is what I was made of. That was a mistake on their part. Um, so that changed things. I went to solitary confinement, and then this incident happened, which changed my life in in a spiritual way. Uh, They put me in a cell. I'm handcuffed behind my back. Um, As I turn around to get the officer to to move my hands over to what they call the chuck hole, which is the hole in the door to take the cuffs off. Yeah. He told me to step to the back of the cell that I was going to be getting a cell, a cellmate, which is normal. So I stepped to the back and he put a guy in a cell with me that looked like something that just came out of the pit of hell. Um, the guy had two bones, one out of each cheek, one through the nose that he had had implanted in his face. Um, and just, he just looked like a monster and he turned around and the officer took the cuffs off of him. And when that officer took the cuffs off him, that guy pulled a knife out of his waistband. And Sherry, I'm telling you, it was every bit of 10, 12, 14. I mean, it was a big knife. It was what we call in prison, a bone crusher. If someone stabs you with this thing, it's probably going to kill you. Gotcha. Um, so I'm in, I'm in a bad spot here. Yeah. I'm very vulnerable. I am handcuffed behind my back. He's unhandcuffed and he has this knife and I'm making eye contact with him directly. Now I'm not afraid of anything. And especially since I got born again, I'm not afraid of anything because right. I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. Yeah. And he's looking at me and I'm looking at him and he walks by me and takes that knife and puts it under the top mattress. I walk to the bars. 
and the officer takes the cuffs off of me and the officer turns and walks away. He hasn't seen anything because we're behind a steel door. The only thing open is that little chuck hole area where they put the food in there or take the okay. cuffs off of you. Okay. And I turned around and looked at that guy and he looked at me and he said, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. But why would you say that? Because I'm in solitary confinement right now for fighting. And he said, I'm going to tell you why, man. He said, because I'm a devil worshiper. And he said, I'm a real one, man. I'm involved in witchcraft, every form of the demonic, have been for many years. Wow. And when they put me in this cell with you, I could feel vibrations in my body from the spirit that's in you. He said, please don't ever touch me. And I said, I'll never touch you, man. He said, no, I mean it. He said, he said, please don't ever touch me. There was fear in his face. And I said, bro, I ain't, I'm not going to touch you. I can't see a scenario, you know what I mean, where I would right. touch you. So what ends up happening is we get our property back there, the property that you're allowed to have when you're in solitary confinement. It just consists of your religious books, maybe a pair of shower shoes. They're not going to let you get any food items or anything like that. And, and he was telling the truth. They brought him all of his religious items. He had a satanic Bible. He had books on, on witchcraft and, and just all pentagrams and all this other stuff. And of course, I had a holy Bible. So I told him, I said, I'll tell you what, man, I'll make a deal with you. We'll read a few chapters out of my New Testament every night out loud. And we'll read a few chapters out of one of your books out loud. And he said, man, you ain't scared to do that? I said, brother, I'm not scared of anything, man. The one that controls the realm that you're dabbling in is Jesus, brother. He's the king of that. He said, all right. So we started out like that. I'd read two or three chapters, four or five chapters right there, you know, and then I'd read two or three chapters, four chapters out of his garbage. And Sherry, I'm going to tell you what, after two weeks, that man looked at me and said, you know what, man, let's just, uh, we just go and just read out of your book for now, man. I said, all right. And we just stayed on it. We just stayed on it. I mean, we just kept in that, stayed in that New Testament, man, every day, every night, man. John, Ephesians, Colossians, on and on and on. And it was, it was awesome. And I got a strong revelation that whatever he had in him could, could sense the presence of what was in me, that this was more than just a religion. Mm. And I, I've got to give you this testimony because I've shared that story before. And there, I was contacted by a, a lady, a professional woman that is, has got her stuff together, but she's involved in things that she shouldn't be involved in. She's involved in new age things and prints books on these oracles of new age stuff. I do not know her. I have never met her. We were connected only through social media. She wrote me on social media and said, I just listened to a five minute story that you told about a man being able to feel vibrations in his body because of the spirit that was in you. And as I was listening to that, I could feel things moving around in my body. She wow. said, whatever that is. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it was awesome. She said, whatever that is has affected me. She said, you're calling it the Holy Spirit. I would call it waves of energy. Again, this is this new age nonsense, but it is disturbing those things that she has allowed into her. That's the power of the word of God. That's the power of our testimony in the blood of Jesus. I keep saying, wow, every time you're like that to me right there is supernatural, mind blowing that God would put you in a because how how old is your faith at this point? Because there's this process to maturing 
right? I mean, clearly you, your experience with God is supernatural in every way. So God puts a demonic, satanic worshiper in your cell with you. And of course, it's God doing the work, granted. Um, it's your obedience and your courage to not back down from something like that. But that just blows my mind. Does it ever blow your mind? I, you know, I think about it. One of the things that that affected me for some years was that I two things I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe that other Christians weren't walking in God in a supernatural way. And I couldn't believe that many of the Christians that I was encountering, they didn't want that. Number one, they didn't want it. And number two, they weren't doing it. If they knew, even if they knew about walking with the Holy Spirit, people don't even read the scriptures correctly sometimes. And I understand this now that I'm an older, more mature Christian. Jesus said, it's better for you. Imagine that. These guys been walking with him for three, what, three, three and a half years. He said, guys, man, don't be sad, guys. It's better for you because I'll send another. You know what that means? And when you say another, it's like if you go to, uh, you know, Starbucks and get a cup of coffee. And when you're done drinking and you go up there and say, hey, I'll have another. They're going to give you another cup of coffee. I personally believe that we should have the same relationship with the Holy Spirit as we're walking on the earth as the disciples had with Jesus. That type of relationship with mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit, he's the comforter. He, he's our friend. He's that guy. You know what I mean? So, yeah, the Lord would put me in those positions. And I think it was because he was refining me. I had so much that I had to get rid of out of me. Here's another interesting story about a roommate that I was given around this same time. They brought a guy to me, didn't speak any English, and I didn't have a roommate. He's going to be my roommate, okay? This is back in general population. And so another translator comes with him and says, hey, this guy's from Cuba, and he's a high priest of the Santeria. Now, this wouldn't be the only time that I encountered these type of guys, but it was the first time. So he pulls out his pictures and this guy's got pictures on the street and he's in this awesome fancy robe and he's got guys on both sides of him that are in different colored robes. And this is what he's involved in. And Santeria, I come to find out, is a is a mixture of Catholicism and demonology that they've connected together with some paganism and whip it all up. And it's just a playground for the devil. OK, this is who he is. So immediately he becomes my roommate. and He starts putting these tarot cards and these prayer cards with these different spirits and stuff. And he tapes them to the wall above his bed, but he doesn't know me or know who I am or, or what I'm about. So when he's not in that room and that door shut, I pace back and forth and pray in tongues. This is the room, the cell that I went to after I received the baptism of the Holy spirit. Five minutes later, I went into this cell. And so I would walk back and forth and pray in tongues. So I come back from work about three or four days later and he's packing his bags and leaving. So I go to the translator, I'm like, what's he doing? Because I'm going to move over here with my Christian brother. He can have this cell. This is a great cell. You can look in this cell from the cell door and see the TV. It's a highly valued cell in prison. The translator said, no, 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 no. He says he's leaving. I said, tell him he can have this room. I I'm going to go live with my buddy. This was the plan for me to go live with my buddy. He gets the translator over there. He's like, no, 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 no. He said, since I've been in this cell, I've been sick. I can't have a bowel movement. I can't pray. I can't do nothing. I am out of here. So I'm like, man, Lord, the Lord is, the, the spirit is powerful. You know what I mean? The Holy Spirit is, is limitless in his, in his capabilities. You've run him out of there. Well, okay. Holy Spirit has run him out of there because his spirit cannot dwell with that. So okay. what happens when I get out of the solitary confinement after being in the cell with a devil worshiper? 
Um, I'm walking across the rec yard. This was in 2005. And as I'm walking across the rec yard, it, you know, God shows up. I'm just going to go get some exercise. I've been in solitary confinement. I want to go work out. I want to get some sunshine. I've been deprived of sunshine. And a little old Puerto Rican man comes walking up to me. And he said, I need to talk to you. I said, well, you know, what's on your mind, Pop? I don't know. I mean, he's a stranger in prison. You know, I figure he's just a harmless old man because he's old, you know. And he said, uh, I had a dream about you. And I'd like to sow into your ministry. And I said, Pop, I said, I don't have a ministry. I just got out of solitary confinement for fighting. Okay. And he said, yeah, I don't care about that. And I just want to tell you that God doesn't care about that. And it doesn't matter what you say, because the Lord's already spoke to me about you before you even walked out here. And I've already ordered the books and they're on the way right now. <laughs> and he he got me some of the most powerful Christian books ever written by people that walked in the last 100, 150 years. People like Catherine Kuhlman and John G. Lake and Smith Wigglesworth. and Wigglesworth. Books, Yes, ma'am. Mariah Woodworth Eder and just all their books and all their sermons. And he became my close friend. We became good friends. So that was in 2005. And we are still good friends to this day. Really? That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. So do you run into a lot of Christians in prison? A lot of fake ones you do. Okay. Well, that's like the real world too. Yeah. I mean, you'll run into these guys that come to prison. He's a child molester. He tries to run over to the church. Many of the prisons yeah. I was in, a child molester couldn't be out on, out on the yard anyway. But some of them permit them to be on the yard, but they hide in the church or a guy's a big snitch. He might hide in the church, whatever the case may be. And there might be a couple real guys over there. But I always instructed people to pray about it. I said, you pray about it. And there's a remnant. There's a few guys in that prison that have really been born again. And God will put you two together. Mm -hmm. I promise you it will happen. He will get his people together. You know, and I don't like to criticize somebody else's walk and I don't judge a man for whatever sins he's committed in life. But do not run to the Lord because you're a coward. Do not do that because he's not going to honor that. There's nothing authentic about it. If there's some authenticity to your conversion, it's going to shine through. It's going to shine through in God's eyes and it's going to make a difference in you. So the guys that I would be around that were Christians when I would find them. Now, there would be years where I would be in prison. And I wouldn't meet anybody that really loved the Lord. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I might meet two or three and be around them for a while. But it would be a lonely existence from time to time. And there would be a lot of valleys and mountains. I can't say I was up on top of the mountain throughout the entire stretch. Mm. Because like I said, there were years and years there where I would tell the Lord, I would have talks with the Holy Spirit. And I'd say, Lord, I have got to do this time. Mm. And it's difficult because I would I was living a fasted life. I would sometimes I would go two years without watching television intentionally. So that I could just spend that time because I was devouring those books and I would read them once and then turn around and read them again and read them again. I would read the Bible just over and over and over. I knew that God had called me to something different, you know, and that the men that I was around could not find Jesus or be converted by somebody walking up to them, handing them a Bible or a Bible track and saying, Jesus loves you. Right. That doesn't work with real guys. That would never work for me. So I know it's not going to work for them. But if I can open myself up as a channel for the Holy Spirit and explain to them that Jesus is alive and that you can have a supernatural walk with God and hear from the Holy Spirit, they start asking questions. Number one, they want to know what you're talking about because the gospel wasn't presented to them like that. 
So you have to get them to read the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. Say, listen, we're kind of called to this, guys. When I think about positioning yourself like that, that's very vulnerable in a prison setting, I would say, because it makes you look soft in that environment. That's why you had to carry yourself correctly. One thing that that I would never tolerate as a soft Christian, I wouldn't allow a soft man to be around me in any capacity. Um, that's why it's kind of difficult for me now to be out here in church. I know that I need to go to church. I need to be part of a fellowship. If you're not ultra super dedicated to the Lord and you're not you know, willing to walk that walk out with some courage in you, I really can't have you around me. I'd rather hang out with two or three solid, solid Christian women than hang around with two or three guys that are Christian men that go to the gym and work out and got big muscles and got Kool-Aid in their heart. I have no tolerance for that. What do you think the disconnect is for male Christians? Women too, but since you're a guy, I'll just ask you from the male perspective. What's the disconnect? Why aren't we walking with Holy Spirit? Why is he the forgotten God? Because they're not willing to pay the price. I preached last night to the men's group that I go to, um, and they said, you know, keep it short. If you can keep it short, Stephen, to about 15 minutes so guys can network and stuff like that. I said, sure, no problem. I already know what the Holy Spirit's going to do. I just finished a 21-day water-only fast, okay? I know what the Holy Spirit is about to do. These guys are out here doing Daniel fasts in these churches, okay? Listen, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, man. I'm coming out of prison. I'm a different type of a cat, I love Jesus with every breath that I take, and I'm just going to keep it real. And I I talked about this last night at church. There is no Daniel fast in the Bible. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, please, we can have this conversation. I love you if you're my brother and sister in the Lord. I'm not criticizing your walk. The Bible says that it was Daniel's morning. We all say as Christians that everything must be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every single fast in the Bible consisted of abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. You either fasted completely from food and only drank water, or you fasted from food and water for a short period of time, maximum three days. There's one example where a man said that he was going into mourning and he did a 21-day fast and he cut out certain things and he ate the vegetables and the fruit, etc. And America has embraced that as this great spiritual thing. And it is not. And when you go into these other countries, they don't even know what you're talking about when you say you're on a Daniel fast. What do you mean? You're on a diet. Essentially, you just decided to go on a diet. You know, I just spent 20 years around a bunch of guys that were claiming to be Muslims. For a month out of the year, they fast too. No, they're not fasting. They've put themselves on a diet where they won't eat until after the sun goes down. Then they have gargantuan bowls of food. God is not honoring that. But I'll tell you something else. If you go without food and just drink water and you're still spending your entire day in the television or other things, God's not honoring that either. The fast has to be pointed. Lord, I'm spending this time with you for X, Y, and Z. I'm drawing nearer to you. I've counted the cost. I see the price there, Lord Jesus, and I'm willing to pay it. I need to open my spiritual capacity for you to be able to use me more and more so that I can present the gospel to people in a way they can understand. And that's what I'm asking. And when I started to say that last night, 15 minutes was out the window. And I didn't I didn't talk about the Daniel fast till the very end. I just took them in and started talking to them about visions and about different things that the Lord was doing. I started them out, honestly, in Matthew chapter six, Sherry. And I'd like to share this with, with your audience if it's okay. Sure. 
we're all Christians here. Most of us, I'm sure most of your audience is a Christian. Okay. Yes. And there's so many revelations that the Lord has given me over the years, because for me doing a long fast is I've conditioned myself to do that. You know, God's grace has been on me as I considered a little bit of a gift. I know everybody can't just run out there and do a 21 day water only fast. It's, it is tough on you. Okay. One of the things that Jesus talked about in our well-quoted beatitudes in Matthew, okay? When we look at Matthew 6, Jesus says, when you pray, don't pray like this. Don't pray like these hypocrites who do these loud prayers so everybody sees their prayers and blah, blah, blah. But pray like this and pray in secret that your father will reward you openly. These are the words of our Lord Jesus. And then Jesus goes on for a moment, and then he says in a parallel scripture to what he just said, literally word for word to open it up, he said, and when you fast, don't fast like the hypocrites who fast like this and disfigure their faces so everybody knows that they're fasting, blah, 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 blah. But instead, when you fast, wash your face and anoint your head and your father who sees in secret rewards you openly. Okay, hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. What did he just say? He said, when you pray. Don't do like this, like these hypocrites, but do like this. Would every Christian out there right now agree that we're supposed to be praying? Absolutely. Yes. How Christians, we are supposed to pray. I've had devil worshipers tell me that the one thing that they fear is the prayers of a dedicated Christian. That's the one thing that the, the ones that they're in touch with in the spiritual realm hate the most is when dedicated Christians are getting together and praying. The, the enemy hates that. It makes things shake and move. So I got a little off there, but it, I had to give that revelation to you as well. So here we are, Matthew 6, when you fast, don't do like this, do like this, okay? So we've changed it. I understand churches, they've got to have numbers, and we've got to pay the board members, and the this guy and that guy, man, I see it. I understand it, okay? I love the Lord. I know the body of Christ is necessary. Why are they weak and powerless? How many Christian men... Get him out of the gym for a minute, guys. I love that you guys are working out. I love to work out. I'm a CrossFit trainer. I like it, okay? Go look in the mirror and say, am I happy where my Christian walk is right now? Am I satisfied with this Christian walk? I've got a fancy shirt on says uh, I'm a warrior for Jesus. Do I like this type of walk? Am I seeing results? Am I seeing people get healed? When was the last time you had a vision or heard from the Holy Spirit? And then ask yourself, am I willing to pay the cost? Can I weigh the price? Like Jesus said, nobody goes into battle without first seeing where they're going to be at in that war and seeing if they don't have a chance, they better go ask the other king of the other army and see whether you don't want to build a tower without first, you know, counting the cost, but you'd be embarrassed. And maybe some of these men will say, you know what, Lord, the cost is too great. But maybe some of them will say, okay, Lord, I'm willing, to, I'm willing, I'm counting the cost. I'm willing to pray the price. What is it? And Jesus says, listen, offer me something. It is your, it is your reasonable service to offer yourself as a living sacrifice Place yourself on the altar. I used to convince guys when I did that year in solitary confinement in 2017, and men could hear God and the anointing coming out of my voice. Remember, I can't see the men around me. I'm preaching through the bars, just at, at air. It started out as question and answers. Then it went to Bible studies. I've got Muslims down here. I've got skinheads down here. I've got Mexican gangbangers down here. I had one of them tell me after I preached one day, he said, man, the whole time you were doing that, I heard a voice telling me when they open these bars to go down there and kill you. I said, you know what? I'm not surprised, brother. You wouldn't be the first one. He said, well, let me tell you something. Everything you just said, man, was speaking directly to me. I said, okay. I said, where we stand at? He said, I'll be at the bars tomorrow to listen to you. 
So I'll yell out the bars, yelling out the bars. Men are saying, how can we get that? We believe the things you're saying now because the way you're talking about this this thing you're calling the gospel is not the way it was presented to us in our life. Mm -hmm. I said, brother, I'm going to teach you how to get in there. Now we can do something. I can teach you how to get born again. Salvation is absolutely free. The Bible says that you have, each man has been given the measure of faith to believe that Jesus is the son of God, born of a virgin, crucified on the cross, buried in the tomb, raised from the dead on the third day. Now watch this at the right hand of the father. Not dead no more. Get, let's get him up off the cross. Okay, we get to the cross to get saved. But he's at the right hand of the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit back down. Guys, this is what you can walk in. He doesn't care what your record looks like, how abused you've been, or how many bad things you've done in your life. And mm-hmm. they would press in. And if I could get them there, Sherry, and I could get them hungry for God, the next step was I would get them fasting. They didn't want to fast. We're in solitary confinement. You can't buy commissary. The highlight of your day is food. I'd say give a meal to the Lord. Give, matter of fact, give them two meals. Watch this, guys. Eat breakfast tomorrow. Tell the officer to take your lunch and take your dinner back. And don't eat again till breakfast the next day. Guess what you just did, brother? You just did a 24-hour fast, man. And God will honor that. Spend that time reading your Bible. I'd get them up to two or three days of fasting. Now, they weren't all doing like me. They couldn't go like a seven-day fast. But I'll tell you one thing. If a person does a seven-day water-only fast, I believe that Jesus would change the course of their life. So if you have some listeners out there right now that are strung out on drugs or battling with prescription drug abuse or maybe alcohol, if you do a complete seven-day water-only fast, I believe that God will change the course of your life. I have yet to see him not do it, a complete 180 in your life. But the two men that I saw receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit while I was in solitary confinement, both of them had been fasting. Both of them had been fasting, and these were hardened criminals. I mean, necks blasted out with tattoos. One of them was a former UFC fighter that was back there for breaking a guy's, snapping a guy's leg in half. Violent men started pressing into Jesus, got born again, started fasting. And within a couple months, they were receiving stuff from God that they couldn't even imagine. You know, when you say a seven day fast, and I think about someone just abruptly trying a seven day fast. Um, 24-hour fast, I think any of us can do that. But a seven-day fast, is there any suggestions or information you have for somebody who is going to attempt a seven-day fast? Sure. Don't don't try right away. Work work your way up to a three-day fast. Once you can do a three-day fast of just water only, um, the next time that you go to fast, I believe pray about it. Set some time aside for the Lord. It's not a time where you want to do a fast like that and have to rush around and have big meetings at work and things going on with the family because you're going to want to spend quite a bit of time in the word, very important, and in prayer and speaking to the Lord and speaking to the Holy Spirit about it. Say, Lord, this is the fast that you've called me to do. This is the biblically prescribed way for me to humble myself. You know, when I fast like this, Lord, I am... I am literally battling lust and the lust of the flesh. I am trying to bring that connection back to you through the prayer. I'm bringing that connection back. And through the fasting, I am keeping my flesh under. And I'm telling my flesh, you are going to obey my spirit and you are going to obey the Holy Spirit. You do not rule me. My flesh does not rule me. My mind does not rule me. My spirit and the Holy Spirit is is going to be the ruler in here. That's so powerful. When I think about your 21-day fast, I'm sure the Lord spoke things into your spirit. 
I think you mentioned, you know, he speaks to you in through dreams and visions. Can you share something about that experience? What has God done during? And then give us maybe an example of what he's done after a revelation. Sure. Well, the 21 day fast was a recent, that's a very recent fast. So as of the recording of this uh, particular podcast, today is January 27th. I began that fast. The Lord started to tell me the Holy Spirit that he wanted me to go on a long fast in the middle of December. And I said, okay, Lord, you know, I'm listening closely. I want to make sure it's not my flesh. I want to make sure it's not my mind. I want to listen to the Holy Spirit. And he was really consistent with me. He said, Stephen, and I live a godly life. Automatically, I spend time in the word. I spend time talking to God um, and do everything I can for the kingdom of God that I can do for the rest of my life. I will live like that with every breath that I have because of the man that he saved me from being. You know, Jesus says, you've been forgiven much. Those are the people that's going to love much. Yeah. I was a real gangster, uh, Sherry. I didn't just one of those guys that accidentally stole some money from Wall Street and got locked up and hallelujah, praise the Lord. I was a career criminal that committed a felony every day, year after year after year. You know, I was a complete reprobate and had no upbringing in church. My knowledge of the word was so slim. I didn't have a doctrine. I took communion before every meal in prison for months because I read in the Bible that I was supposed to do that as often as I remembered Jesus. And that's the way I understood it. Until finally a Christian came up to me and was like, you know, you really don't have to do that before every meal. And I was like, well, that's just what I'm reading in the Bible. This is what I'm doing. You know, I believe this is the word of God. It's where I'm at. I like that, though. That's pretty cool. That's that's who I am. And so I started that fast on Christmas Eve at 8 p.m. And I fasted for 21 days straight. So I guess that would put me at January 14th at 8 p.m. It was... um, it was a long fast. It was water only, no broths, no juices. We're going hard. We're pressing into God. I know that I'm in Christ, but I'm keeping my flesh under and I need to hear from you, Lord. Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit knows that you love to hear from him. Mm-hmm. He also knows that when you do hear from him, that it increases your faith yeah. to expect to hear from him more, mm-hmm. which opens the door for him to speak to you more. And it's an awesome system that God has set up like that. So during the course of that fast, I've got some very strong revelations from God. Anytime that I've done a fast at least seven days, I've had visions. The Lord has given me visions. It's it's kind of like um, a combination of words of knowledge, very specific words of knowledge, not like, you know, I see you as a flower and you're very beautiful and you're about to go into a new season of your life and praise the Lord. No, 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 no. Like he would give me the name of a gang member that would be coming to my unit in solitary confinement that I nobody even knew this guy was in the prison. And I would write it down on a piece of paper and hand it to my neighbor, a skinhead. He would hold the piece of paper for 24 hours and that man would come walking into the unit. Wow. And Sherry, that man would get saved every time (laughs) because he knows that you've got his name over here. And once I start questioning him and and I'll tell you something else that's really awesome for the ladies out there that are in your in your audience. Women, please pay attention to me here. Please listen to me when I tell you this. This is on my word of honor as a man of God. When something like that would happen, when I would be given a specific word of knowledge for somebody, knew some information about them in their life, very specific, there's no way someone could have told me this. When we would start to write back and forth or talk, I would say, brother, is it possible that there is somebody out there praying for you right now? And every single time that prisoner would say, man, my mama's out there praying for me, man. 
And the instance that I just told you, that gang member, he said, man, my brother just got murdered in the streets of Chicago and my mom was praying for me every day. And I said, bro, it's no accident that Jesus is doing this, man. Can you see that God is trying to get your attention right now? He said, I can, man. I said, what you going to do about it, man? He said, man, I want Jesus in my heart. I said, I can get you there. Let me help you do that. Because I can I can show you how to get there. You know what I mean? You're and, right. Yeah. So, so the praying prayers of a mama are so yes, effective. Ma'am. Mamas and grandmas, your prayers, when they get through, here's what happens. Those prayers, when they get through to the father. He starts to position godly men Mm. that your son or daughter will respect. He starts to position them and put them in their path. And then a guy like me that is obedient and absolutely sold out to Jesus, he will connect me with this person in some Mm. form, some supernatural way. God is going to make it happen because your prayers have gotten through. You Mm. know, it is just really, really awesome. If I took a survey with all the men that are in Teen Challenge right now, If you surveyed 100 of them, 99 of them will tell you that they know who the person is that's been praying for them. They don't know how they got saved. They don't know how these people came into their life. They don't even know how they received the gospel. So, So ladies, please don't ever think that your prayers are not doing something because you can't see it moving. Because I've interviewed these men that God has given me the word for that have given their life to the Lord. So I just want to put that out there, man. Don't give up. Don't grow weary in the prayers. You know, I need your prayers. Pray, pray for me. Pray for Sherry. Keep doing it. We'll pray for you. You know, the enemy hates it and we love it as children of God. Well, God says my house shall be a house of prayer. And so if you think about the power, that language is a power language with God. I just wish we could grasp, grasp the importance of it because it is so powerful prayer changes everything. And you know what I found, Sherry, when my, if my prayer life even becomes lacking a little bit, mm-hmm. it's pride. When, when you're not praying as much as you should be and as often as you should be, your pride is, is welling up a little bit. You need mm-hmm. to humble yourself a little bit and get, put, get your face down there and get in front of God. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've missed you. At some point here, I missed you. I apologize. I haven't been praying like I should. And I missed you, Lord. Please, Holy yeah. Spirit, come back. Lord Jesus, forgive me. You know. Pride is a sneaky thing because I wouldn't have thought about that. But as you're saying that, it makes complete sense. But I would not have thought about that as being pride. I talk to God all day long. Since you said that, I've got to tell the story and then I'll go into the 21 day fast and the visions. I'm in solitary confinement. I'm living that fasted and prayed life. I'm, I'm doing 377 days in a cell by myself with a Bible. I go to the front. They pass into my chuck hole, my little tray. I open the tray and it's missing the main food item. It's got like a little bit of uh, this and a little bit of that, but it's missing the eggs. There were supposed to be eggs on this tray. So I said, okay, Lord. So I walked to the back of the cell to wash my hands before my meal. And uh, I said to the Holy Spirit, I said, Lord, I said, Holy Spirit, you always take good care of me. Why would I get a tray that's missing eggs? But it's okay because maybe there's another man back here that's hungrier than me that Mm. needed those eggs. And I dried my hands off and I walked back to the front of the cell, Sherry. And down at the bottom of my bars was the biggest green apple you ever saw in your life. And I was in the under, I mean, we are under the prison, literally. And I reached down outside the bars and I pulled that apple in. You could barely fit it through the bars. Wow. And when I looked at it like this, it had a giant cross on the side of it. (laughs) Now watch what happened. I showed it to my neighbors. I said, check this out, y'all. They said, there ain't no way. 
They're like, Rooster, there ain't no way, man. I said, I'm telling you, man, look at this. They're like, there ain't no way. They get the cop down there. He comes down there. He's looking at the apple. He's like, what in the world? Watch what happens. Before this little revival was over that broke out in solitary confinement, I had COs, correction officers, coming from the prison to my bars, taking their hat off, putting them up to the bars and saying, hey, man, will you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I said, man, I'll pray for you, brother, man. I will pray for you. That's God. He breaks down the barriers. Jesus said he nailed it to the cross. There's no difference between this one and that one and this one and that one, man. It's, it's you know, you, you go up there, you, you, you crucify the flesh, you're dead, you take up the cross daily. It doesn't matter, white, black, male, female, correctional officer or prisoner. You know what I mean? People are going to recognize God in you and, and people want that in their life. That's why I'm always happy that there are witnesses to these things. I've got gang members out of Chicago that contact me on Messenger and other places and they're just like, Man, they love it. They love it. You make a huge impact. But what do you think the if you had to guess the percentage of those who continue on? Because that is a harsh environment. And if you think about the word says that the seed was spread on the different soils, some fertile, some not. Yeah. Well, I will tell you this. There's a verse in the Bible that talks about and your fruit shall remain. And a lot of that comes down to discipleship. And I wasn't always able to disciple these men. There was no way to do it. But I'll tell you what I did, sister. I would make sure to the best of my ability before they left me that they had an encounter with Jesus. Mm. And before they left, they would ask me this question. Many times they'd say, how am I supposed to go do my time now? I've been in prison for eight years or 10 years or whatever. They'd say, man, I've been a gangster. I've been on the weight pile my whole bit. I come back here with you and spend three or four months, man, and give my heart to Jesus. And they're about to transfer me to a penitentiary. What am I going to do? Right. And I said, pray about it. Don't run to the chapel in prison. Pray about it and ask God to send you the two or three real men that he has there. And he'll do it. And he'll do it. But I would always try to give him an encounter with God. I did a, I did a group, um, We've got to get to that 21 day fast because I know your audience is going to love that. I did a group deliverance one day. Okay. Please, Sherry's audience, just bear with this story. Okay. <laughs> I'm praying, fasting, doing my thing. Men all up and down the tier that we can't see each other. And many of them are about to be transferred. Some of them have given their life to the Lord. Many of them are reading the Bible that never thought they would. But I need to I need to give them an experience with God before we leave, before we part ways. I need to give them an experience with God. So I go to the front of the bars and I yell out. I said, listen, guys, here's what's going to happen. I said, many of you have been abused in your life. Many of us have been violent men, drug addicts, drug sellers, whatever. I said, and there are things that have been following you around in your life that have oppressed you, made you depressed, tried to possess you, tried to control you influenced your thoughts your whole life, made you feel worthless. Maybe some of you still feel worthless, but it's not what you think you're worth. It's what God thinks you're worth. And God thinks you're worth the life of his son, even if you were the only person ever born on this planet. I said, men, there are things out there that are trying to harm you, trying to hurt you your whole life. And I would like to pray against that. If you men will let me now, I'm screaming this out because there's a fan going down at one end. We're locked behind these bars. I said, if anybody would like to participate, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I said, I am a child of the most high God. I live this life. You men know it. 
I will begin a verbal attack against every spirit that is harming you, that's been trying to harm you. But when I do, guys, things are going to happen. So if you're not prepared for that, I'm giving you an opportunity now to say yes or no. It's completely up to you. And for this to work, you almost have to be desperate and want it. And I had about four participants. Mm-hmm. Some of the other men that had been born again, that said they, they, it freaked them out. And they said, listen, I'll just sit back and listen. Right. I had about four participants up and down a tear. And I began a verbal assert, uh, assault against the enemy. The blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. I called him out for who he is. I let him know that I knew he was there. I had every one of them renounce any involvement with the occult. Many of them had been Mm -hmm. involved in the occult, simple things, astrology, went to see a fortune teller, renounced any involvement with that, ever playing with a Ouija board and just on and on and any involvement, Mm -hmm. commanded every generational curse to be broken and just got into it. And in fact, this episode is in the book that Evelyn has right now. And when she gets to this part, she's going to be like, what in the world? And let me tell you what happened, Sherry. They started throwing up. These guys back there are spitting up, snotting up. I hear toilets flushing everywhere. The guys that aren't involved in it's like, what in the world? They are freaking out. What is going on? We did this for an hour when Mm -hmm. everybody was delivered and I was confident that everybody was clean. And I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And I get pumped up when I'm doing stuff for God. But once it's over, I calm down. I get a little tired. I turned around from the bars. I felt so good. Sherry, I was proud as a peacock. You couldn't tell me nothing, girl. I turned around from the bars and started to walk through the back of the cell. And the Holy Spirit said, remember who you work for. Wow. Just like that. Mm. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I said, I apologize, Lord. I, I apologize for that pride right there that tried to well up in me. The enemy tried to get me as soon as it was over. And if I would have allowed that to happen, I'd have been in bad shape. Mm. I said, Lord, mm. I am sorry. I, I apologize. Please forgive me for that. I felt so much pride welling up in me, man. I had done something for the Lord. And these men had had an encounter with God and the reality of the supernatural was there. And, I, you know, pride tried to creep in there. So, but it was a powerful moment for them. Well, I'm, again, pride is sneaky um, because I, I, the Lord allowed me to be a vessel for the salvation for my in-laws. The Lord caught me by surprise on that. So when God uses you, allows you to be part of, what he's doing and what he wants to do. It's amazing. But I I don't know that I would have thought about pride at that time, but I can see how easy it would have been because you get so excited. We need to get back to that solitary confinement. That's Satan's playground because he's, he's attached himself to our traumas. Mm -hmm. And now here he is having a field day with you, or at least having access to you in this isolated place. So I'm very interested to hear what God did. Where was God when all, when you're sitting in solitary confinement? Here's what happens. And and a man has got to do this. There's a such thing as just setting your face towards God. And when you do that, you have to be dog determined to, to go through with it or the enemy will crush you. So when I set my face towards God and got into his word and began to pray. And I would tell you, sometimes he would break me down. Sometimes I would be praying on that bed and have, you know, the whole tears and the snot and just the whole thing coming out. And when it was over with, I'd ask the Lord, what was that all about? You know, where did that come from? And what was that? I'm not sure what I was praying against or what the absolute problem was in the situation. Or maybe I was under some type of attack and and those prayers were helping to break that attack. Um, But yeah, just dog determination, set my face towards God and stay in his word. Once I'd done that for a few months, by the time it had been six months, 
it was the happiest time of my life. I mean, I could, would literally be dancing around the cell and hearing from God on such a regular basis. I'll tell you how deep it affected me and how much it transformed me. I've been out of prison almost a year. And by most people's standards, I have a good life. You know, I have a business now. Um, I have a lot of really good things going on. And I have missed that. And I have missed that six years ago being in solitary confinement because that was the closest I'd been to God in my life. And then a guy that comes up to the building where I work brought me a book one day out of nowhere. And he said, man, you ought to read this book. It's really nice. Uh, It's from a Rwandan genocide survivor, a woman that was locked in a three by four bathroom with six other women. I said, okay, now normally I, I wouldn't read this book. I'd be into the Bible or working on my business or, you know, whatever. I picked it up and I started to read it. And when I got to about the third chapter and she's explaining everything that happened and they had to be silent because if the people that are committing the genocide find out that they're hidden in this bathroom behind this dresser that's covering the door up, they're going to come in there and hack them with machetes and kill them. So they would be silent all day long. And she said she missed those moments because during those moments, she prayed for 12 or 14 hours a day, just silently under her breath. And that let me know that it's okay that I missed those times of being close with God. Because when Peter was up on the mountain with Jesus and Jesus was transfigured, Peter didn't want to come back down. He wanted to build a tabernacle up there for Moses and Elijah. Mm -hmm. And the Lord said, no, we're not doing that. We're going back down. But that was the closest that he'd been to the Lord. He actually saw him transform. So I believe a lot of that brought about the recent 21 day uh, biblical water only fast that I did do the one I started on Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. Um, I needed that intimacy with the Lord and I needed to hear from him about many things. And some of the things he spoke to me about, I didn't ask about. Um, So if you'll allow me to share just one of those visions with your audience, I I pray that they would be blessed by that. Um, I'd love to hear it. Sure. The the one that I had on day 14, I had a vision on day nine. I had a vision on day 14 and another vision on day 18 and another word from the Lord, a very strong word on day 21. I want people to expect to receive things from God. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how we're going to battle this this decay that we're seeing in our country right now. You know, our our weapons are spiritual, right? Not carnal. So on day 14, I'm laying on the couch here in my apartment. And I see a vision and in the vision, I see a man sitting on the, on the floor and he's got his back leaned up against the wall and he's got a black hoodie on and he's got the drawstring tied real tight. So there's just a small hole in front of his face and it's dark. I can't see his face. Whenever I get a vision from the Lord, I'm always very curious in the vision, you know, kind of like Peter on the rooftop where the Lord shows it to him three times and he's curious and he still can't figure out what it is. (laughs) And, you know, I'm just kind of curious. I'm walking, I'm trying to look in his face and I cannot tell who he is, Sherry. So I stepped back and I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I, I don't know what this means. And the guy took his hood off and I could just see a partial bit of his face and the rest was in the shadows and even around him was darkness in the shadows. And I could tell that he had some stubbly hair, like a man that normally would shave, but hadn't shaved in about a week. And, but I couldn't make out his face. Um, And I said, Lord, well, what is that? I mean, I cannot see who it is, Lord, unless you remove the shadows from his face. And the Lord didn't. And the vision went away. So immediately, knowing it was the Holy Spirit, I picked up the phone. I called my adult son and I said, son, are you doing okay? And he said, yeah, I'm cool, dad. I said, you got a black hoodie? 
And he said, no, dad, I, I, I do not. I said, there's nothing going on. You and your girlfriend's not arguing. You're not depressed. None of that. He said, no, I'm cool, man. I said, okay. So it's not him. So I'm laying here and I'm thinking, Lord, what was that? You know, and I get an alert on my phone and I pick my phone up and I check it. And as I start to scroll through it, I've got a friend request. And that friend request that came across is this picture right here. Half of a man with half a face, a man with half a face. And the actual friend request, I took a screenshot of it and it actually looks exactly like that. Uh, a man with a half a face in the shadows. And when I see that it is the vision that I just had, I look at the name and I recognize the name. That's a man that I knew, Sherry, 25 years ago. We were involved in crime together. This is before Christ. Mm -hmm. This is when I was still a gangster. And that guy right there used to work for me. And I didn't know right now if he was dead or alive or doing a life sentence in prison. I haven't heard from him in over 20 years. Mm -hmm. So I accepted his friend request. And I said, hey, man. Uh, you know, texting, doing the messenger. I said, bro, I just had a vision of you. And then you send me this friend request. And it is the exact vision that Jesus gave me. I said, just, just tell me a little bit about what's going on with your life. And he didn't open up. He was just like, you know, Hey, I was keeping up with you on social media. Please don't stop doing what you're doing, bro. Please keep preaching like that. It's just awesome. You know what I mean? Awesome. You're inspiring a lot of people and my life has been pretty good. So I was like, well, okay. That's cool, you know, and that was it. So two days later, day 16 of the water only fast, I'm laying in bed about 10 o'clock at night, feeling rough. Okay. I'm, I'm a skinny man, you know, by nature, it's just muscle and skin, just gristle, if you want to call it that. Okay. And, and at this point I'm feeling rough and it, things hurt, bones hurt and I'm laying in bed and I'm getting comfy and I hear my phone ringing in the front room. It's that messenger ring, that Facebook messenger ring. And I said, Lord, no, I am not getting up to answer this phone. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, get up and answer the phone. It's your responsibility. And I said, okay, Lord. So I got up and I walked in here and I picked the phone up. And it was him. I could see from the ID on the messenger. And I just started with, hello, you know, hello, hello. And I just, I did that for 37 seconds, Sherry, nothing, nothing on the other end, just me saying hello into empty air. So I hung the phone up and as I was about to, about to crawl back into bed, my phone rang and I walked out here and I saw it was him and I answered and I said, Hey man, what's up? And he said, Stephen, that was the craziest thing that has happened to me in my life. Maybe he said, I was in another room at his house. My phone was in another room. There's nobody else here. And I heard a voice saying, hello, 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 hello. By the time I went in the other room and grabbed my phone, he said, it was your voice. It was your voice saying, hello, hello, hello. When I grabbed the phone, you had hung up. He said, I didn't call you, man. He said, I was in another room at his house and my phone called you, man, on messenger. I said, well, let's talk, man. It's obvious, man, that Jesus is trying to do something. So tell me about your life a little bit. What's been going on, man? And he said, well, I'm going to be honest with you. I got born again about 14 years ago, man. I said, well, that's awesome. You know, and he said, yeah, I gave my life to the Lord. I was on fire for Jesus for a while. And I was, you know, witnessing to people and carrying a Bible. I said that, you know, I'm, I'm saying, man, that's awesome. And he said, brother, I am so backslidden. He said, I'm so far away from God. I work construction. 
nobody around me even thinks about God or talks about God. It's the furthest thing from their mind, man. I'm all, I'm all alone out here. And I said, bro, you're not alone anymore. The hound of heaven is on you. First of all, you know what I mean? And that is a blessing right there. And you're not alone. And God's able to put all of us back together. That was involved in all that stuff we was doing for his kingdom. I said, I'm going to start praying for God to truly put godly men in your path that you will respect. You just be open to receive it because he's going to do it. And he said, I will receive it. He said, if God puts godly men in my path, man, that I can respect, I'll start growing the church. I'll go to men's groups and all that. I said, get ready because it's about to happen. Now, I called him again about three days ago, two, three days ago. I said, how you doing, man, over there? Because he lives, what, 150 miles away. And he said, man, I'm I'm still rattled. You know what I mean? I'm still a little rattled <laughs> about what happened with that phone. Now, see how right. this worked right here, Sherry, where I had the vision. And mm-hmm. when I told him about the vision I had, it didn't affect him at all. Right. But it was strong confirmation for me. I'd probably say that's one of the top 15 visions I've had where the guy mm-hmm. gave it to me. And then an hour later, he confirmed it. But when his phone called me, right, it rattled him. Right. It didn't really affect me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, it's just like that, you know, and God's funny like that. And it's just how it goes sometimes with him. And and uh, so I heard from him this morning and he said, you know, I just got a, a job offer from a roofing company. It's going to be traveling around, actually. And he said, I'm thinking about taking it. And I'm going to check with him tomorrow. And I'm believing that the man that owns that roofing company yeah. is a man of God. And he's yeah. going to get in that truck to go travel with that man to go do these roofs. And that man's going to have a Bible in there. And this is what Jesus does. It's just interesting that God gives you a vision of just one man because he had this man on his mind and his heart. And he wanted to let him know that he sees him. He's thinking of him and that he has, you know, the reason that you would pray for him to have godly men is because that's what God's getting ready to do in his life. So that's pretty cool. I love God's stories like that. They never get old to me. Never. They don't. They don't. I love Jesus. I know. Here's the thing that I have learned about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is kind of funny. He does like little comical things sometimes. And, you know, one of the things that he'll do sometimes is he'll use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And here is God, the one that created this universe, is concerned about this former drug dealer that was involved in all types of crime that is backslidden. He's not even thinking about God. And Jesus says, I'll leave the 99 and go get him. I love it. That you want to see me on fire, that girl, that'll get me on fire. <laughs> that'll get you going. Just hearing your stories, I can tell that God has a heart for prisoners on either side of the bars. Why does God care about prisoners? I think it's just the brokenness of people. You know, there's so much going on there behind the scenes when a man becomes a criminal as a lifestyle. Um and and I'm I'm not a good person to talk to about prison reform. I know that some things can be done better. I know how to fix a few problems in there, but they wouldn't do it. Just common sense, real common sense solutions to help guys be prepared to be released from prison. Like yeah. a guy that does 20 years like me and you don't teach him how to use a cell phone before he leaves, but his right. whole world has to run off that. But prisons need to be there. There are men in prison that I hope never get released that are extremely dangerous to society. But that doesn't mean God can't save that man. It just means that man's in there for a reason and he needs to be. Um, But there's a story there. He didn't get there by accident. 
I didn't end up in prison by accident. My entire life cultivated in the environment that I was in. There's a, a popular movie from what, 30 years ago, Goodwill Hunting. And it's just, man, he's just a super smart kid, but he was totally abused. And Robin Williams comes in, man, they go through these struggles, but he drives off and he's got the girl and he's got the job. Okay. But that's not usually the story when you're dealing with a smart, intelligent man that's been abused and kicked and mistreated and unloved his whole life. What usually happens is that smart man becomes a sophisticated criminal and goes to prison. And there are some smart guys in prison that just life chewed them up and spit them out. And I pray that the Lord will reveal himself to these type of men so that they can see what they're worth to God. And somebody's got to get in there, explain to them the things that you've done and the actions that you've taken. Those are your fault. And you have to accept responsibility for those and make a change. But what happened to you when you were a kid and somebody decided to abuse you, brother, that's not your fault, man. And you can overcome that Mm -hmm. by the blood of the lamb, the, um, t- the blood of Jesus, if I if we get started on that, we probably have to run about three or four episodes. There's so much power in the blood of Jesus that the church is not revealing. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it's man, that is where it's at. And a man like that can begin to plead the blood of Jesus over his life, plead the blood of Jesus over his mind, plead the blood of Jesus against the enemy who's been afflicting his mind, continue in that repetitive and get that revelation in his spirit and get mm-hmm. healed from that trauma, become a totally different person. And that's that spiritual realm that you're turning loose and the, and the fact that the fight is in the spiritual realm. And so now you're at, using God's power in that spiritual realm. And that's why you see that sort of conversion. When you can be vulnerable like that and share something that's happened to you, it does give other people a voice. Like they feel, okay, I'm not alone. I can speak up too. I can have the courage to to say, hey, that happened to me too. And so there's a lot of power in someone such as yourself standing up. Sure. Business owners correctional officers that are in that men's group, hands flying up. And you know, the enemy hates that. And I'll Mm -hmm. tell you why, because if you're able to identify the problem and understand that there's a spiritual element to it, sky's the limit. Mm -hmm. One thing that has to happen, one thing that will happen is when you see that, whatever's still causing that torment in you, can you imagine that being a man that was molested when he was six years old, Mm -hmm. being 40 years old and still tormented by that? Right. That's that's more than just a memory. Yeah. That's something that needs to get up off of you and out of you in the name of Jesus and through the blood of Jesus. And then the real healing begins. And the enemy does not like that, Sherry. He hates that. You know, one of the things uh, about the deliverance type of ministry that I'll say, it's 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 it it sickens me that you get a lot of the kooks and the wackos that run to the deliverance ministry and give it a bad name because it was such yeah. a big part of Jesus's ministry. Right. You look in the book of Mark, man, he just comes out flying, casting out demons immediately. Mm-hmm. OK, but it gets such a bad name and there's so much fanaticism. But that doesn't mean because the devil is counterfeiting something that God intended to be powerful and beautiful. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. the enemy hates it. You know why? Because it brings out into the forefront to be visible the defeat of Satan and the reality of the supernatural. When someone gets a demonic spirit cast out of them, things happen. It's not yeah. like, oh, I feel free. Everything's good. No, no, no. Not in my experience. It's wild. You'd put your dignity away. Would you rather be delivered or hold on to your dignity? Okay, yeah. get rid of your dignity. Let's get you set free. And then after that, we'll praise Jesus. Yeah. And we're going to get you full of the Holy Spirit too. When you get the presence of God, you get the fullness of who he is. And so we both know that's limitless. I have a few more questions for you. And I'm going to bounce around a little bit because I did write some things down as you were talking. Like, for instance, your obedience, I think, is 
key. Like that's significant to God working through you. But what about gratitude? Has gratitude played a part in your journey with God? Well, yeah, I I really think it has because of the man that I was. When you've been cleansed, when you when you know in your heart that you're now white as snow and you have been such a bad person, you know, on so many levels, um, even when I was a bad person, Sherry, I still had a good heart. But that doesn't make up for the fact that I was a bad person, that I broke the laws of this country every day, that I sold drugs. And, you know, I do say, yes, I was in federal prison for trafficking cocaine and it's a nonviolent drug crime. But when I started to evaluate as I grew in the Lord, how many lives I had affected negatively that I didn't see. I didn't see the negative effect because I was so high up the scale that I didn't see the user. You know, the, the only person that could approach me was a was a large scale drug trafficker theirself. So I didn't see the damage that I was causing. But over time in my walk with Jesus, he has shown me some of that. And it's it is painful. It is painful to know, you know, that a kid went without a meal because their mother or father bought cocaine that was six people down the chain from me. It doesn't matter. I was responsible for that, you know? So yes, I am extremely overwhelmingly grateful that Jesus changed me from that man, that I've been forgiven for that. And with with every breath I have, you know it, with every breath. What sort of advice, suggestion, information would you give someone who is still carrying the weight of that? Because a lot of times... I can say that as an example, I can say that I believe God forgives me, but yet I don't forgive myself. Why are we dragging around? Why is it so hard to say, okay, I believe God forgives me, but I'm not going to forgive myself. Is that pride? Sounds like pride, I think. I think it could be pride. And I also believe that it could be a lack of knowledge of that sacrifice. Um, You've mentioned vulnerability a couple of times here tonight and probably the most vulnerable Uh, instance ever recorded in human history, Jesus allowed himself to be stripped and whipped and hung on a cross for the entire world to see. There is no such thing as someone being more vulnerable and open than that, but there was so much power in that. So when a person is carrying around that guilt still They have not received the full revelation of the knowledge of the penalty that was paid so that they could walk in freedom. And if Mm -hmm. they get that revelation and say, oh, my Lord, you did that. You became a humility. You became vulnerable. You became all these things that slain lamb of God so that I could be washed clean and forgiven. If I don't forgive myself after you've forgiven me, then I count the blood of that cross unworthy. I count that sacrifice as being unworthy. So I need I need those people to get that revelation. Yeah, because Isaiah 53, 3, I believe it is, and it talks about they turned their back on him. They did not respect him and they 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 thought it was his fault. And so rejection, abandonment, all of these things are happening to God on the cross. And yet I feel like when we don't receive the forgiveness of God, we have abandoned his blood. We have rejected it yet again, and we don't see the value in it. To accept God's invitation to sit at his table, I think that's a humbling a humbling gesture to say, all right, God, I'm going to receive your invitation. I'm going to sit at your table with you. Yeah. 
Absolutely. One of the things that I talk about from time to time that it, there's a lack of teaching in the church that I see is how to hear from the Holy Spirit. We've spent a lot of time in this interview talking about the Holy Spirit, and I've described various visions and hearing that still small voice. Many of the men that I go to church with now that have been dedicated Christians for 25 or 30 years, there is talk of the Holy Spirit, but there's not really a blueprint there of how to have that relationship with the Holy Spirit and how to hear from him on a consistent basis. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to teach men how to do. Mm -hmm. Recently, when I was doing that, one of the elders said, but it's difficult for me to sit still and try to listen for three minutes. I said, brother, I understand that. That's foreign to me in a way because I can shut my television off for three weeks. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But you've got to train yourself how to do it. I It's like fasting and what we talked about earlier, how to build yourself up to a seven-day fast for Jesus to change the course of your life. It's the same way with being still and trying to listen for God. The first time you do it and you just close your eyes and you and you relax and you say, Holy Spirit, come, please reveal to me who you are. Reveal to me what it is that you're trying to show me. Reveal to me the forgiveness that I've been given so that I can walk in that newness of life. The first time that you do that and you sit back and close your eyes, you're not going to sit there for an hour. You'll fall asleep. But you can condition yourself. You can do it in five minutes and then read the word for a little bit. Then within a week, you'll be up to 15 minutes. And soon you'll be up to that amount of time. Invite the Holy Spirit in. Tell him to reveal something to you. Dismiss negative thoughts. And sometimes it's okay to say, Jesus, 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 yeah, Lord, I need to hear from you. You know, it will increase my faith as I hear from you, Lord, please. Mm-hmm. And, and that helps that kind of quietness and stillness really helps. Very rarely will you read about someone in the Bible that yeah. did a fast that didn't go off and get by themselves. When I'm on a long fast like that, even though, you know, you can't take three weeks off work. So for the first two weeks I did some work that I needed to do for my business. But that last week, it was the Lord's. Mm. It was me and the Lord and the word and just praying, praying in tongues. I learned a very valuable lesson on this last really long fast, Sherry. Mm. When you do a really long fast like that, you can't pray in the spirit after eight o'clock at night or you'll be laying in bed at three in the morning wide awake. Oh gosh. Okay. You're so sensitive to the spirit of God and your human spirit gets so charged up. Like it talks Mm -hmm. about in the book of Jude, you're edifying your own spirit that you'll be twiddling your thumbs at two in the morning. It's awesome. I mean, it just supercharges you. So if you're going to be praying in the spirit, get it done before like five. Yeah. You make a good point when you're talking about the Holy Spirit. I do think that the church misses implementation. Like we're great at pointing people to different aspects of God's character, different scriptures. And, and there is some uniqueness in reading the scripture, even in different phases of your life. And it speaks to you in different ways. But I think what the church could really benefit from is that implementing, like you're talking about, here's how, here's some examples, here's ways that you can engage the Holy Spirit. Even sometimes when I sit down with the Lord and I'm listening to praise and worship music, or I have a scripture or whatever, I get started on it. And then I'm overwhelmed by the spirit. I'd sit there and cry. Mm. That's what I get done in my 15 minutes. The goodness overwhelms you, keeps pouring out and you can't stop. Those are sweet to me. Moments like that are very sweet. So it's not wasted. Even if you sit there crying. (laughs) No. Oh, goodness, no. No. (laughs) Some of the greatest moments I've ever had with the Lord are crying tears of joy. Were you ever mad at God? I wouldn't say that I've been mad at God, but there have been times in my Christian walk where I was absolutely unsure and clueless about what the Lord was doing. Uh, There were periods of time when I did do that 
a little over a year in solitary confinement where I talked to the Lord about it. I said, Lord, I believe my work back here is done. I believe I'm ready to get out of solitary confinement. I'd like to get a little sunshine. I'd like to, you know, be able to use the phone and call my family and see what's going on with my grandbaby and, you know, those type of things. Because I, I love to sing to my grandbaby on the phone from prison. That's how she learned to recognize my voice. Again, I didn't know why he was doing what he's doing. And then he gave me a dream. And in the dream, I was in a vehicle in the passenger side and Jesus was driving. And we started to drive out of that dungeon. And when we began to see the sunlight at the end, the tunnel narrowed and he put the vehicle in reverse and he backed it up, got back to where we started and he got out of the vehicle and I felt perfect peace. And a couple of days later, the administration came to my cell and said, you are not being transferred. You are staying in solitary confinement. But I already knew it, mm. but I couldn't understand it. It didn't yeah. make it more understandable. It's just like he was verifying. Look, I'm you're, I'm not done with you back here yet. One of the most powerful things that ever happened in my life. I believe your audience will love this. It is. It changed me. I had a dream and. In the dream, the Lord showed me just these words right here. John chapter 11. I told the Lord, I said, look, John chapter 11. He said, John chapter 11. That's it. No explanation, nothing. So, you know, I wake up. I think John, you know, when he gives me something like that, I'll wake up and write it down. Maybe go back to sleep. Right. I said, John chapter 11. Everybody knows John chapter 11. That's the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. You know, and I'm like, Lord, what is this right here? John chapter 11. So I get in my Bible and I read John chapter 11 again and read about Lazarus being raised from the dead. I don't get it. And then I read a little bit more out of the word. And then I reach over and grab the Christian book that I was reading. And it was a book by Lauren Cunningham, uh, the founder of Youth with a Mission, essentially of how he created Youth with a Mission. And I flipped to the chapter where God had showed him a vision of, the, of a boat and they were repairing this boat. And they believe it was God's will to use it. It's essentially a giant ship that they were going to use to travel around the world in. And the Lord spoke to one of their friends in a dream. And the Lord said that he revealed to them a revelation about John chapter 11 and that Jesus said, I could have healed Lazarus, but I did not want to heal him. I wanted to resurrect him. And when I read that, the Lord spoke to me and said, Stephen, I did not bring you into solitary confinement back here for a year to heal you. I brought you back here to resurrect you. You will leave here a resurrected man. Wow. Now, imagine that. At that time, I'd been saved for 14 years and had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and been in, you know, just um, um, amazing situations. And here I am 14 years later. And you know what, Sherry, he did. When I left that solitary confinement, I went in there in May of 2017. I got out at the end of May of 2018. I was a completely resurrected man, just walking in the power, the absolute power of the Holy Ghost. And it's just it's just continued for these last five and a half, six years. It's just been awesome. So solitary confinement typically is not good. It's not something that's beneficial to someone, but you come out not healed, well, healed, but you, you come out resurrected. When you reflect on the darkest part of your journey to where you are today, what is something that has surprised you about God? Even after being born again and even after being filled with the Holy Ghost, 
you still got to do 20 years in jail or whatever I had left at that time, 17 years left. And you're a thousand miles away from home and there are valleys and there are mountaintops. There's a story, real famous verses in the Bible about the prodigal son. And, you know, he leaves his father and he goes and he, he goes to this far off land. He wastes all this money. He's living with the swine. He turns and comes home and his father embraces him with open arms. And the Lord had showed me that even when the prodigal son was away from his father and running away from his father and doing those things, he was still his father's son. So this is for people that have ever backslid away from God which is very easy to do, especially if you find yourself in a wilderness or you go through a divorce or you find yourself, a, you know, a thousand miles away from your church or your whatever the case may be, or alcohol is coming in or drugs are coming in and you've backslidden. You have never stopped being your father's son. And if you turn and go back to him, he is going to run and meet you. So you, uh, for people to get that revelation right there, that is incredible. The prodigal son never stopped being his father's son, even when he was doing some of the worst things that, you know, the most disrespectful things that he could do to his father. He's feeding the swine, abomination. Yeah, because he was, he was always, yes, he was always his father's son. So when you come back to Jesus, you'll realize Jesus was always right there. One of the tiny details that I learned about that particular story that I thought even solidified, maybe even more solidified, um, this father's passion for his son was when he lifted his garments up so that he, he could run, his legs were exposed. And apparently that was like the biggest embarrassment and shameful thing that a man could do. But the father did not care. He mm -hmm. was running to his son. He didn't care what man had to say. He didn't care what the polite thing was to do. He didn't care what the rules and the regulations were. He was running to his son. Man. Yeah. That's a good daddy. Is there anything that I have not asked you about that you want to share before we part? One thing that I would like, I would like people to, to press in for a deeper relationship with God. And if they're not sure how to do that or how to ignite that type of spiritual hunger in their self, I want them to reach out to me. I really, really do. Not for any monetary gain or anything like that. I mean, I make myself available for that stuff like that. That is a spiritual gift that God has given me. It's not one of the gifts in First Corinthians chapter 12. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily part of the office of an apostle or an evangelist or a prophet or a teacher. But one of the things that God has, has given me insight on is how to speak to people through his grace and his words to ignite a fire in them. Love to do that. And I love to see people walk in that. Well, we will definitely put your contact information in the uh, show notes. So if anybody's looking to get in touch with you, we can definitely uh, do that for you. Plus, I want to talk about something before we close, but let me ask you this. If our listeners only remember one thing about this whole conversation, because it's going to be a long conversation, what is the one thing that you want them to walk away with? Wow, that's a really good question. Yeah, because how can you slim it down? Yeah, I would say that to understand that no matter who you are, where you're at in life right now, whether you are on the mountaintop or you're in the valley, you have got to understand what you are worth to God. Mm. What are you worth to God? He knew what you were worth to him before the universe was created, and you are worth everything to him. Every single breath that you take, everything that's happening in your life right now, God considers you to be worthy. 
because of what his son did. He's, he's literally, literally wants you to get a revelation of that. It will change your life. I am a queen before God is something you could say, Sherry, or I am a king and a priest before God, a member of a royal priesthood, as Peter would say. And I'm supposed to walk in that because God considers me that worthy to be that person. If I don't consider myself to be that worthy, I'm shaming the blood of Jesus because it was shed Mm -hmm. so that I could be that guy and you could be that woman to walk in these good works. Paul said we are called to walk in these good works. You're worthy to receive God's love and you're worthy to transfer that love and show other people how to receive God's love. If we could ever grab a hold of that, a full understanding of that. Wow. What power we would walk in and what difference in the lives of our loved ones. All right. I'm ready to close, but I have to know, because I believe this is part of the redemption story that God has for you. Talk to us about these scripture frames. In 2020, which was two years before my release, The Lord came to me in a dream, and he just showed me scriptures on a wall rotating. Um, I told the Lord in a dream that I couldn't understand it. I didn't know what it was. Um, At this time, you know, I had already been in prison 17 years. Uh, Facebook hadn't been invented. Smartphones hadn't been invented. Um, And I just told the Lord I didn't know what it meant. So the very next night, he gave me another dream, and he showed me what it was what would be on it and how it would work. And I kept those things in my heart for two years. And upon my release, um, through God's providence and just amazing miracle working power, he connected me with the right people to make this idea come to pass. And, you know, we invented a product. When I say we, I mean the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father. That is the first of its kind, inspirational digital scripture frame. That is simply plug and play, no internet, no Wi-Fi, and it is a decorative wooden frame around the picture itself that you just plug in, and it automatically rotates a new inspirational scripture as often as you like. We've got people using them as nightlights. We've got them up in restaurants, the big ones. The satisfaction right now the of customers have every single customer we've had, whether they've lived in Virginia or Maryland or Florida or California, it's 100%. If I was a better marketer and a better salesman, I'd probably have $10 million by now. But my passion is so much in evangelism. Right. But that's what it is. They are scripture frames. That's especially attractive to me because I have a a hard time trying to remember where to find scripture. Sometimes I can tell you the scripture, but I can't tell you verbatim. And then sometimes I can tell you verbatim and I can't tell you where to find it in the Bible. And so to me, putting something like that in your line of sight on a regular basis where you're being fed. And I love that it's a nightlight. Think about it. You're being fed through the night. You get up to the bathroom. That's your nightlight. That's what you're the source you're looking at. Having that in a place where you see it often, you feed yourself on those things. And so the scripture, how many scriptures are in the picture frame that will rotate? Yes, I, I put 183 of the most powerful scriptures that meant the most to me. Uh, throughout my sentence and throughout my Christian walk. So if a person left it on to rotate a new inspirational scripture every 24 hours, they would see the same scripture twice in a year. Now, I could have put 365 scriptures on there, but I didn't want to water it down at all. Right. And another thing that's happened, Sherry, is you know we call this frame the Rafa frame, which mm-hmm. means the Lord that heals you. Yeah. And what's happening is that people are putting them in their houses for their teenagers 
their teenage daughters and sons that will walk by that don't have time to sit down and read the Bible, wouldn't dare do it. It's the TikTok generation, but they'll see a new scripture up there every day. Mm -hmm. So they're getting the word in them every day. That's huge right now. That is Yes, ma'am, that is. That's the sword, right? Yes. So that's where you wield that word. You could program it. When I say program it, I mean, I have made this so simple that I could use it with no technological background. It's it's just been awesome from, for God to show me that. So you could have it rotate a new scripture every 30 seconds. You could have it rotate a new scripture every five minutes, once a half hour, once an hour, once a day. Okay. You can have it do that. So simple. It comes with a little remote. Boop, boop, boop. Rotate a new scripture every 30 minutes. Put the remote away. Never touch it again. It's done. You can have it shut off at a certain time of night and wake mm-hmm. up at a certain time in the morning if you want. Nice. It's a very, very high quality product. It is yeah, not right. made uh, cheaply. It is decorative. It is built to last for you forever. If a person decides that they want a new set of scriptures at any time, Mm -hmm. I also will be making those. I'll be making new scripture packs, some specifically for maybe people that are that are sick or have cancer or something of that nature. So it's it's an awesome gift for a pastor. It's an awesome gift for a grandmother or a mother, Mm -hmm. you know, Valentine's Day, Easter. It's people bought bought a lot of them at Christmas time. So, yeah, it's it's awesome. And Valentine's Day is coming up. What better way to love on somebody than to give them the word of God? Transformational. Mm. So if you need more information, stay tuned because after Stephen and I close, he gives you just a tad bit more information if you're looking for it. Because uh, real quick, Stephen, where, what is your website again? People can find you at? The website is JesusSpeaksLLC.com. And you're going to be looking at the raffle frames. The LLC stands for Life, Liberty, and Christianity. So Jesus speaks LLC.com. Jesus speaks life, liberty, Christianity. That's what the LLC stands for life, liberty, and Christianity. Just couldn't make the name that long. All right, Stephen, thank you so much. What a joy it has been uh, to sit here and converse with you about somebody whom we love dearly. That's Jesus. So thank you. God bless you. May God continue to use you in mighty ways. Wherever he sets your foot, may he go before you and just turn hearts for the message that he has for you to deliver. So thank you for doing that here. Appreciate it. Sherry, thank you for having me. Do you find it hard to remember scripture or where certain verses are located in the Bible? Do you ever wish that your children or grandchildren would read the Bible more, especially the most important and inspirational passages? Hi, I'm Stephen Snook, and I have exactly what you need. I created Jesus Speaks LLC, The LLC stands for Life, Liberty, and Christianity with the purpose of putting more inspirational scripture into people's homes and offices. I developed the first and only automatically rotating decorative scripture frame. Its name is the Rapha frame. The word Rapha literally means the Lord that heals you. And the Bible says that his word is life and health to all flesh. The Rapha frame is simply plug and play. No internet or Wi-Fi or app downloads needed. 
You decide how often a new scripture will display, and the wrapper frame does all the rest. Perfect for your wall, desk, countertops, or shelves. Go to my website, JesusSpeaksLLC.com, and get a wrapper frame for you or a loved one. Begin the transforming of your mind and the minds of your family members through the healing power of God's Word. That's JesusSpeaksLLC.com, and get yours today. May the Lord bless you and make his face shine upon you from JesusSpeaksLLC.com. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.